And all he wanted me to do was nacho. Uh. And I just think about all those years that I went through. (laughs) (laughs) And he was telling me, all I want you to do is step back and not worry about it. And you're like, and all I want you to do is step up. Step up. (laughs) You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Take two. And why are we doing take two? Because you said I'm a bad storyteller. <laughs> Y'all, she starts stories in the middle. Imagine how long they would be if I started at the beginning. I know, but you can't just start out with, and we had a fast go cart, and then my pocketbook, because it's like, wait a minute. You're not going to tell anybody like where we were with a FASCO cart. We don't own a FASCO cart. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to retell my story. All right. David's oldest triplet, Branson, was home in between his travels Why are you with talking the slow? Air Force. I'm telling the whole story. Now you're doing too much. See? I can't win. <laughs> tell the story, David. All right. Reader's so we, Digest version. So we took... Uh, Lori's kid. And, Don't call him that. Okay. We took Lori's baby's daddy's kid. <laughs> <laughs> we took Branson to a, a go-kart track and um, we got these faster super carts, you know? And so Lori's in there and of course she's got to carry a pocketbook around, you know, and carry all these things that you don't need. And so she ends up getting hit on the track by person we don't know at the moment (laughs) and it apparently uh, knocks the gas pedal up where she can't reach it with her foot and so she pulls over um she after i tiptoe one lap around stretched out like i was trying to be was that little gumby thing (laughs) yeah so she pulls over and has somebody come help her and in the meantime somehow she's got her pocketbook resituated and she she thinks it's like down beside her in the seat. No, I thought it was in the middle. Okay. So she gets. They don't even know the story. She gets stopped. It doesn't matter. It'll change next time you tell it. No, it won't. <laughs> I'm accurate with my storytelling. So she gets stopped and she's like, where's my pocketbook? And, you know, the first thought is it's somewhere on the track. And I'm like, I don't remember seeing anything scattered on the track. And I'm thinking I would have known if it flew out of the little car. I mean, you're going, what, 35, 40 miles an hour? Yeah. So anyway. Um, you start looking at the cart and you're like, I see my pocketbook. It's right there. And it's kind of looks like it's underneath the cart, kind of. So I pick the back end of the go-kart up and Jackson reaches under and <laughs> he pulls out the strap <laughs> for it. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. And, you know, initially I'm thinking that's all there is to it, but he keeps, he reaches back under there and I'm like, okay, there's more. So <laughs> he pulls her pocketbook out and that thing, had been apparently dragged around the track. Now it's a smooth track too. Yeah. But that pocketbook had burn marks on it. It got dragged so much that it almost caught on fire. <laughs> yes, I said fire. Fire. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of the contents were charred. Yeah. Some were melted. Yep. I gotta buy Jackson uh, another duck hat. Yeah. Your phone fortunately survived. Yeah, it was protected by the duck hat. Yeah, you had a bottle of aspirin or something that melted. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Hand sanitizer. <laughs> it was so funny. Never did find my chapstick, so it's somewhere on the track. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I looked at her. I'm like, please tell me that wasn't an expensive pocketbook. 
No, the sunglasses cost more than the pocketbook. Please tell me who's wearing this piece of sunglasses. I did learn a lesson, y'all. If you go into some kind of amusement park thing or whatever, don't wear expensive sunglasses. And my expensive sunglasses are not expensive to some people because if I pay more than $10, they're expensive sunglasses. <laughs> so don't wear over $10 pair of sunglasses to these amusement park places because if they get broken and torn to smithereens and melted. It would have ruined your day. It would have ruined your day. Just think now, if you would have had a $100 pocketbook, $50 pair of glasses and all this stuff in there and all that stuff would have got thrown away, your whole rest of your day would have been ruined. You've been miserable. Everybody else would have been miserable because you've been miserable. I was okay, actually. No, yeah, you're you were fine. You laughed about it and everybody laughed about it. And then... Well, came- honestly, I was just glad that the money, the money that I had in the pocketbook was still there because I don't normally carry cash, but I had some in that pocketbook. Yep. So that was the first thing I checked on. Now the time for the big reveal. What? You want to tell everybody who hit you on the track? No, that, I don't. That caused all this ruckus? There's no need to talk about all this. It was your baby boy. <laughs> like an hour later. <laughs> like an hour later, he comes. It might have been two hours later. He's like, oh, mom, I'm the one to hit you. <laughs> well, l- let me explain something. He didn't mean to. Oh, my gosh. He said that he thought I like slamming on brakes or something. I don't know what happened. How all did, I know is all I know is that we were having fun. Next thing I know, somebody knocks the crap out of me, and I'm not going anywhere because my foot's not on the gas. <laughs> and I'm not long enough to stretch my legs that far. So I barely made it around one more time, and then I'm like, I can't do this. So I had to pull over and get little feller to help me. Isn't it funny how we make so many excuses for our own kids? My sweet baby. He loves if, his mom. If it would have been my kid, though. Well, Ethan knocked the crap out of me one time before. Y'all were doing that to each other. Yeah. But no, what I can't stand is people that will fly into the, I guess you call it the pit area, mm-hmm. knowing the cars in front of them are stopped <laughs> and slam into the person. That's what Ethan did. Is that what he did? Yes. We're not talking about my kids. We're talking about yes. yours. No, no. We are talking about Ethan <laughs> Riley Sims. <laughs> We're not playing tit for tat here, Lori. Well, I'm just saying. I'm not titting and I'm not tatting. I'm just telling the truth. The truth is... The truth is... None of that matters. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. (laughs) Our guest today is stepmom, Amy. Hello, Amy. She's been blending for nine years. Two stepkids, ages 19 and 20. Zero bio kids, zero hours kids, but two doggies. So she's got stepkids, 19 and 20. Uh Uh-huh. And she's nachoing. Yeah. So the magic age of 18 didn't change everything? They don't magically disappear. Well, so why do these parents, step-parents have this thing on their phone that counts down till they turn 18? Well, David, if you would behave in the Facebook groups, you could ask people that. I don't need to ask because I understand the <laughs> fallacy of the thought. Oh, Lord. <laughs> One thing that Amy said reminded me of Ethan. What's that? She said that when she cooks, the kids don't tell her thank you. But when dad cooks, they sure do tell him thank you. Well, of course. So, David, since I'm a sucky storyteller, <laughs> do you want to tell the story about Ethan, future UFC Hall of Famer? <laughs> oh, he'll love you calling him that. Um, it was just every time that you would cook, um, which was not often. Oh, my. That is a lie. <laughs> I cooked up until Nacho. He would. Uh, he had always. You, you, know, you tell people I cooked up until Nacho. 
She could. And if you would have told your quiz, if you would have told your kids to quit talking crap about my food <laughs> and had some manners. Well, I mean, they weren't I lying. They were just David. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I tell you a story before I kick you off as co-host or whatever. He would see Lori cook and, and he would come in there and he would eat it and then look at me and go, thank you, daddy. This food was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they would even ask before they said anything like, who, who made this? <laughs> you know, and if Lori said, well, I made it, they were like, eh, okay. Yeah. If I made it, oh, this is so good. It is so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were a few times you said you did and they were like, oh, it's really good, daddy. And you go, ha ha, Lori made it. And they're like, oh, we need, we could tell. Yeah. Something wasn't right. It don't taste right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But one of your kids, no, two of them, isn't it, Ethan and Mason, that love my vegetable soup? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Branson won't eat soup. Can't even try. Something about the consistency of it. But yeah, he would eat taco soup over at the other people's houses. Don't you just love that when your kids will eat things at somebody else's house and they won't do it at yours? They swear up and down and make them die. Yeah. Jackson used to do that. He wouldn't eat tacos here, but he'd go to Angie's and eat them. <laughs> all right. I think it's all in which you, which you can get away with. You know, when you're at home, you can get away with it. You're somebody else's house. You know, if you don't eat this, you ain't getting nothing else. Mm-hmm. You're going to really go hungry because they ain't going <laughs> to cook you anything special. Mm-hmm. David, one thing that we talk about is her significant other will not nacho her dogs. <laughs> nacho her dogs? He won't nacho the dogs. <laughs> he will nacho them when it comes to responsibility and caring for them, but he does not follow the number one nacho rule. About know. not saying anything negative to or about the dogs. The step dogs. Yes, we are going to have a step dog version. <laughs> it's going to be called Nacho Dog. <laughs> and we're going to have a Nacho Dog Academy. <laughs> where people just like her significant other. She said, oh, I can't say nothing about your kids, but you can say something about mine, even though they're dogs. Yeah, he's not Nacho and the dogs. Wow. I think that's the first I heard of that. What, about not, not Nacho and the dogs? About, yeah, about somebody expecting their dogs to be nachoed. Stop talking, David. Let's get to listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to say something before we get to listening. If you have not checked out the Stepmom View, you need to do so. Go to stepmomview.com, scroll somewhere where it says get free access. <laughs> it's to the bottom of the page. And you can see kind of what the panel's like, who's on the panel, and get access to two free questions. And there's 24 more of those questions, or 23, I can't remember. 24. And it's kind of like an encyclopedia. No, it's kind of like a first aid kit for stepmoms. No, it's a survival guide. It's like a snake kit. Take the poison out. Yeah. It's like a vaccine. It's the nacho survival guide. (laughs) But not all these women nacho, so. That's true. That's why it's called the stepmom view, not the nacho view. Yeah. So you get five, five expert Step family coaches answering the most asked and most challenging step family questions. <laughs> so check it out. All right, I'm done. All right, let's get listening to Amy's interview. Why are you laughing? Oh, I don't know. I can't think of any reason. But first, here's a word about the Nacho Kids account. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step-family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step-parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. 
Today, we have stepmom, Amy. Hey, Amy, how are you? Hi, I'm good, Lori. Tell us a little bit about your blend. How long have you been blending? So I'm actually part of two blends. I am in a blend um, as a technically, I guess, a stepkid. Mm-hmm. And then I am in a blend with my partner, my current partner, which I am a bonus mom in that relationship. So I've kind of lived in a blend for a long time. I don't think I realized, I don't think I realized I was in a blend when I was the stepkid, but I think I'm very conscious of it as a bonus mom. And uh, I call myself a bonus mom. My, my um, significant other and I are not married. And I feel like bonus mom is a good term to kind of describe the dynamic in our relationship because my partner feels strongly that he and his ex are birth parents to their kids. And, you know, so I kind of feel like, right, so I'm, I'm a bonus. So um, it seems to fit really well. Do your stepkids refer to you as bonus mom? Um, no, I think they kind of refer to me by my name or they call me their dad's girlfriend. And I sort of call them, you know, my boyfriend's kids. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any kids of my own. So there, there isn't any need for like the, his and my conversation. Sometimes I know that happens with blends. We, we haven't had to address that because I don't have any bios. But you have two dogs. <laughs> I do have two dogs. And, you know, it's interesting because for sure the kids are his and for sure the dogs are mine. And that is like a, a certain, so to speak, in our relationship because <laughs> my boyfriend, while he he enjoys the dogs from time to time. They are definitely, you know, my responsibility. And, you know, I, I do all the walking for the most part and the feeding and the loving and all of that, you know, so there is sort of that, I don't know, line in the sand, so to speak, like dogs are yours, kids are mine. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And it's really funny because when we had our rescue dog, we laugh because we saw a lot of the same dynamics between our original dog, I guess you would say, and the rescue dog that we see with between stepkids and bio kids. So what do you mean? How did how did that work? The older dog um, that we've had for seven years, she did not like the rescue dog. Oh. She would eat his food. And when I say eat his food, she would run back and forth between each bowl to make sure he didn't <laughs> get any. Because it was all hers. Yes. I see. She would <laughs> pout. We would look for her and be like, where did she go? We'd find her upstairs in the corner, and she would just look at you like, I hate you. Oh, my. <laughs> she got depressed. She wasn't as active, you know, running around the house acting crazy. And, I mean, it was funny, but I was like, that is so much like the bio kids and step kids, or even an hours kid because she's used to having all the attention. And then here comes this other dog, and we're all giving him attention probably more attention because he needed it at the time. And Mm -hmm. she was not happy at all. Like a new baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you my boyfriend definitely um, nachos my dog. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to sort of step back and look at all of those boundaries that we have. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, and I'm sure other other steps, moms struggle with this. In my mind, it would be so much better if he didn't nacho the dogs and he was more active and, you know, we were sort of one front 
which is, I feel like exactly what we struggle with being steps, Mm -hmm. you know, our bonus parents is like, when you love for your significant other to back you up and (laughs) one united front and everybody's doing the same discipline. And so sometimes it can make it hard with the dogs because he's like, why are they acting like that? Well, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, there's only so much I can do, but, um, but we do make it work. And of course I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't live without them. They're my, they're my, you know, they're my world. Just like, you know, for him, he, 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 is an amazing father and adores his kids. And so he jokes that he, you know, he says that my dogs come before him, but <laughs> I try and tell him, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you wouldn't think that you need to blend with dogs, but the dogs are a part of the family and you do have to consider that too. Yeah. They're your kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you step back and think about when the parents with custody and things like that, you know, if, like in, in my boyfriend's case, he had an every other weekend set up with when he could see his kids. And I was like, you know, I actually have my, I spend more time with my dog, you know, every day, day in and day out, then he gets to see his kids. It kind of, when I stepped back and thought about it, gave me some good perspective about, you know, how difficult that is on a relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about you being a step kid. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. How old were you when your parents split up? So my parents didn't split. My father died when I was 11 and my sister was almost seven. So my mom was a widower at, I think she was 39 and had two kids and it was very hard. It was very sudden and our world kind of just went from color to black and white. It was a really difficult time for us. Mm Mm-hmm. And my mom started dating a couple years after my father died. And that was hard for me. I, it hadn't even entered my mind that she would date. <laughs> you know, I was 11. I was still young. And I guess I, you know, didn't quite understand. And like my dad, my dad was gone in my mind. So there isn't necessarily anything else. And I mean, now as an adult, I see like she actually waited a long time I think it was over two years. It was hard to see her sort of going out, you know, and being with these other people. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, I want to say probably, so she was dating two years. She met, she met somebody within a year, year and a half. And he, so they dated a long time, I think eight or nine years. And then they, they eventually married, but it was a rocky relationship with him. I always refer to him as my mother's husband Mm -hmm. saying like stepdad just doesn't sit well with me, but there's a, there's, I don't, for me, there's a difference because, you know, I had my bio dad and he was gone. So it's a very like delicate, it's a delicate thing, I think. And, and as a, as a step parent now, I, I will say, I do see his role differently than I did as a kid. I'm more I'm more empathetic for sure about how hard it is to be a step parent, Mm -hmm. but we still don't get along from time to time. We see the world very differently and there's an added layer for us. We, we actually, my mother runs a company and we all work in the company. And so that's like an added layer of (laughs) exponentially more complicated layer of dynamics between us. So you're not just dealing with a blend 
in terms of being a family. Now you have working relationships that you have to deal with as well. I think that probably has been the most challenging part of it. Did he come in and try to parent you thinking, oh, yeah. Poor little Amy doesn't have a dad. I can be her dad or I can be her father figure. You know what? I don't think he did. I mean, stepping back, I really feel like he he didn't. He he never tried to discipline us. But when he would sort of speak his mind, that wasn't welcomed by me because I was a teenager and I had lost my father and I was depressed and angry and so I can see how hard that was for him. I'm sure he tried in his own way, but it was very hard for us to connect with him. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like he ever tried to step in and parent. And he he never lived with us, actually. So everybody was separate for almost all the years they were together before they they ended up marrying. And I think that probably helped things a lot because it would have been probably really difficult for all of us to live together. So he has two boys that were just a little bit older than me. He had an every other weekend set up too. So I don't think he came into it being like, I'm going to be their parents, but we just sort of butt heads about worldviews and how we see people and treat people. And so And as I got older, you know, when you don't have to spend as much time, it becomes a little bit easier. But then when you come back into a relationship and now you're working together, that creates a whole new set of challenges. If you Mm -hmm. can imagine trying to work with your work with your own parent and then work with a step parent um, that, you know, it's it definitely is is challenging because there's so many power dynamics at play. So my mom is my mom. And in that relationship, you know, she is the adult, so to speak, air quotes here. Mm -hmm. And but then at work, you know, my mom is also the boss. And so that creates a weird dynamic between the two of them, because in their marriage, they're equal. So you start stepping back and looking at it and like, there's a lot of push and pull there. So I had to take quite a big step back at work. And I have some pretty specific boundaries that I have set. And I, you know, I guess I didn't realize it, but I needed to like to nacho in that relationship probably better than I had. Mm -hmm. And so setting those boundaries, I didn't know that's what I was doing, but that has helped a lot. So, you know, I don't spend time with him, just the two of us, because things can spiral. So I have determined we need a buffer to kind of make that relationship less tense for mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. or at least for me. So yeah, I mean, it, it has not been an easy road. And that has been one of the most difficult relationships, you know, in my lifetime, because he's been in our lives now, I think, the next 20 years, mm-hmm. longer than, you know, longer than my own father. So it is, it is a challenge. It definitely is. Do you think your mom waited for them to move in together or get married after y'all moved out because she knew that it would be easier? That's a good question. They, (laughs) interestingly enough, were seemingly traditional and they did not want to live together until they were married. So I don't, I don't know the ins and outs and intricacies of their relationship, but they did not get married for all of that time. There was a breakup at one period of time, you know, uh, through their relationship. And when they got back together, they, I guess, decided that was the time they were going to make it work and get married. 
And there was a year I was no longer in the house, but my sister was, and the three of them were living under one roof and it didn't go well. So your sister doesn't have a good relationship with him either. Right. It's challenged. Yes, it is. Yes, it is difficult for both of us. Now, here's what's interesting, I will say. So my sister had, so I've said, I don't have any bio kids, but my sister has kids. Mm -hmm. And in that dynamic, the step part has completely gone away because the kids, my sister's kids only know him as their grandpa. Mm -hmm. There, there isn't any secondary or step or that's all that they know. Right. And that relationship is actually really beautiful and joyful. And he, he loves the kids and the kids adore him. And, and it's really nice. So I do find that very interesting, you know, in terms of generations and the blend and how to them there's, it's not like he's a step grandpa. He's their grandpa. Right. Yeah. Because that's all they've known. Mm -hmm. He didn't come into the picture after they were born or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you met your significant other. Yes. He has kids. Mm -hmm. Were you hesitant to get into a relationship with somebody that had kids? So I was hesitant to get into a relationship at all, Lori. (laughs) I had been single for eight years and I wasn't looking and I was very content on my own. (laughs) That's when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I would say happier than most of the people that I knew in relationships being on my own. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to tell anybody I was going somewhere. I didn't have to organize this with anybody else. There was no balancing of schedules and time, none of that. I, and I, I really, I was very happy and I met my now boyfriend, but we were, we were friends for a period of time over a year before we even really considered dating. And it took some serious convincing on my part. I knew that I didn't want to have kids and the idea of being a step parent did not, I'm going to use the word intimidate, but I'm not sure if that's the right word. It didn't, it didn't give me pause. Mm -hmm. I, as I had told you, I had lost my father or my sister and I, we lost our father when we were young. And so I had taken care of her a lot. We have an almost five-year age gap. And so just by default, if my mom wasn't there, which she was running this company, so she couldn't be there a lot of the times. And so, you know, after school, I would make sure my sister was good at home and feed her and help with homework, all those kinds of things. And so um, the idea of sort of being in a step parent role didn't, it, it was fine with me. And I kind of almost liked the idea because then there wouldn't be any pressure to maybe have kids biologically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sort of would let me off the hook, which, you know, is a really, when you're, when you're picking a partner, that's a super important piece to sort of align with. Oh yeah. Because that's, you know, it's really a non-negotiable for the most part. We matched really well in that regard. So yeah, I mean, so I knew he had kids. I actually did not meet them when we were friends. When we were friends, we were going to meet at a party or something. So we were going to, it didn't work out that I was going to meet his kids when we were friends. We had planned on it one time to meet sort of at a social party and they didn't end up being able to come. And then eventually months and months and months later, when we started dating, he 
he was very clear. Like I was not going to meet his kids until he knew that this was going to work, that that we were in this for sort of the long haul, so to speak. And credit to him, because I have to say he was very good about those boundaries. He was very good about the boundaries with his ex as well, which we can get into in a little bit if you want. But it was, it was three or four months before I met his kids. And we had been friends. We knew each other for a while. And then we were friends for, as I said, over a year. And then we were dating for a while. So, you know, he, he was very careful about introducing me. He did, he did not want there to be anybody sort of coming in and out of his kids' lives, you know, that would make them question anything. And when he introduced me, I was just a friend. His kids were 10 and 12 and beautiful, happy kids. And it was in the summer that we, that we met and he just sort of had me come around every so often. And eventually his youngest said to him, I I think you should ask her out on a date. And that was his sort of, that was his way of knowing that they were good with me being around. And so Eventually, I think somewhere between Thanksgiving and Christmas, he told them, you know, he had taken me out and now I was his girlfriend. And so that's how he played that. And I, I, you know, think it was very smart of him. He really wanted their, their buy-in to the whole thing and, you know, wanted to make sure that this was going to be a safe relationship for them too. Right. How often do you get the stepkids? So they're no longer under custody. They're currently... 19 and about to be 21. So it's been a bit of time that, so when they turned 18, the custody order ended. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's recent that both of them haven't been under the custody order. So let's see. Yes. So it was, you know, about eight years that it was an every other weekend setup. So, and that was really all he got other than if he were to go to school events, if they were in a sport or something like that. And he would go watch any chance he got. He would go to be with them and hang out with them when he could. But as they got older, which I'm sure a lot of steps and bio parents in this dynamic experience, you know, they start having friends and they want to go do things sort of, you know, on the weekends when you're supposed to have them. And as they get older, you know, it's not just balancing between the two bio parents. It's also balancing between what the kids themselves want to do. So uh, when the oldest turned 16, you know, then she had a car uh, or she had a license and could drive. And so that sort of opened up them not necessarily coming as often or maybe not staying as long because, you know, she could drive and then they could go back, you know, and do things with their friends or, you know, whatever the case may be. So at 16, the the dynamic of the every other weekend started shifting. Okay. Yep. And was he okay with that? Yeah. He was very prepared for it. I remember when they were younger, he was even saying to me, he's like, yeah, yeah, they're going to have friends and they're going to want to go do their thing. And so he's like, I'm just trying to soak up as much time with I can with, with them as I can now mm-hmm. that, cause I know this, it won't be forever. And he's very realistic. Sometimes it's, scary and unwanted by me because he'll say something and it'll catch me off guard. (laughs) Whoa, that's almost like too real. But yeah, he adores them, but he's also not overly sentimental, if that makes sense. So he he knows like 
I was a kid. Like I remember how it was and I wanted to go hang out with my friends. And so, um, yeah, so he was years in advance prepared for that moment. Do they still live with Maya mom? They do. <laughs> so the oldest was in college and sort of at home on, on, uh, summertime break, if you will, but COVID really changed a lot. I mean, changed the world really, um, for everyone. So they were at home, uh, with their mother during COVID. Mm -hmm. So that's where they've been. And during COVID, we actually moved to a different state and it was all planned and the kids knew about it. And we were waiting until his youngest was graduated from high school. He didn't want to go anywhere until she was graduated and ended up working out that we literally moved the week of her graduation, just how things ended up working out. <laughs> Y'all didn't waste any time there. <laughs> but but I have to tell you, it was all, it was really him. I was happy to sort of stay where we were for another year or two. And he was like, nope, we're going. And I said, okay. So he knew that he would be giving up some of the he would be giving up the proximity to being as close as he was, but we thought, okay, well, we'll put him on a plane and they'll come and see us. And, but with COVID it's, it hasn't, you know, that hasn't obviously panned out, but now with vaccines and everything, we're able to travel a little bit. So he is going to be able to see them a little bit more, which we're both excited about. I mean, me too. I, I love seeing them all together and them being happy and I can't say before Nacho that I would have been as excited about it. And now, you know, I am excited. The relationship that I have with them now is much more fun, easy. And I feel like I have the tools now to, to step away when I can feel myself sort of going down a road of that anxiety and becoming sort of too wrapped up in, in their lives or what's going on. And, you know, so now I can just sort of turn my nacho on and I can disengage a little bit and it puts me back into a, a good place, which helps everybody. So that's like a really nice feeling. So when I say to him, Oh, I'm really excited for them to come down. I really mean that. Right. I really do want to see them. When did you start nachoing? So it's been a few years. I want to say, so I want to say I tried nachoing, but didn't really understand nachoing until probably six months or a year into it. So I had understood like you sort of do this step and you just, you're not supposed to engage and you're not supposed to care. You're not supposed to this. this, this. And I'm sort of trying to do all those things. And I, I was asking myself that question, how do you not care? I feel like that is the, the question is bonus moms or bonus parents. I guess we, we ask ourselves because we were expect, there's all these expectations on us as steps and bonus parents and sort of giving permission to not have that weighing on you is a really good first step. And then for me, the key to it was when I, it was on a post and either you or one of the other people commented and said, you cannot care more than the bios. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like the little click that you hear in the lock and it uh, opened everything up for me. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. So there's two people that are parents to these kids. And if they're not caring, like I'm caring, what do I need to put myself through this for? And that was sort of the moment where I don't know, I just like when you open that can of soda, and it just goes, 
Like for me, that was that like release moment that I was like, okay, oh, all right. And all of a sudden I could in my mind, put a distance between where I had been and where I probably am now. And I don't know, there's room to breathe. I can be less anxious. There was a lot of anxiety for me in the dynamic of the relationship. And now it, it just, it feels so much easier because I don't have to care as much. I still can care if I want to, but it's like, no, if, if, their dads being chill about it. Why do I have to be up in arms about any of it? Yes, exactly. And once we realize that, it is such a relief. It's very freeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very freeing. And so I had this difficult childhood moment, as we've talked about, and I deal as many, I think, women and parents do. I deal with anxiety. And part of dealing with anxiety is you want to control everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) being in a step parent relationship, you're likely not going to control a lot. And so you have this push pull and this struggle and, you know, you're trying to feel like you matter and what you say matters. And it's really, it's so hard. And you're like, but I live here too. And it's my house. And, but in the blend, it's, you're not equal sometimes, a lot of times. And if you can disengage in some of those moments and say, you know what, this isn't about me. Yes. That is really good. Yes. It just, I don't even, it just feels like you're the weight that you have been carrying, like wrapped around your ankles, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to tread water just sort of falls away. Right. And it brings such a different dynamic to the blended relationship. I mean, I swear I could feel the girls react to me differently when I was able to do that. It's like, you're trying to hold on so tight. You're strangling the relationships. And once you can let go, like there's just, there's room for everybody to move and and breathe. And it just works so much better. Also the girls were getting older. I'm sure we all can empathize with one another about getting through the teen years. I know I was awful. (laughs) You know, and I was dealing with a lot during those years, just sort of beyond becoming a teenager. And, you know, and then there's just sort of regular teenage stuff and hormones and trying to test boundaries and privacy and all these things. And and you're dealing with kids that are dealing with a divorce relationship. So there's all of those dynamics at play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they get older, all of a sudden personalities start coming out and it, it just evolves. And I also... You know, when you had that moment where you sort of moved out of the house and the relationship with your, for me, it was a relationship with my mom because I, my, my father had passed, but it was so much easier to get along with her because we weren't, we weren't on the, on top of each other, so to speak, right? because there was that physical distance that sort of made room in the relationship for things to be a little bit easier and flow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So now sometimes I think it's, it cracks me up. Like when we talk to the girls and. Sometimes they'll be like, dad, hold on. We want to hear what she has to say, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I have to tell you, I mean, it seems it's, it might be so small to them, but it it feels enormous and wonderful to me to feel like appreciated. Like they want to hear what I have to say. Those are really special moments for me because I feel like it shows how far I and we have come in this blend. Right. It's like you actually exist and you matter. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. 
And there's, gosh, I'm going to cry over Thanksgiving, uh, excuse me, over Christmas this year, we had to do it remotely. So we, we sent each other boxes of gifts. And so I didn't grow up with Christmas, but they did. And Christmas is a very big deal to them. So I have learned their customs and sort of wrapped my arms around some of it, you know, kind of taken hold of a few things and made my own customs Mm -hmm. with them. And so this year doing it remotely, you know, I think we were uncertain about how it was going to go, right? Because we always got to spend it together. And I was thinking, oh gosh, my boyfriend's going to be so sad because he's not getting time physically in person with his girls. And this isn't what we planned. And it was our first Christmas away. And so we get on a Zoom together and we we turned on our cameras and we each got to open our gifts. And it actually was really fun. I, I know we would have loved being together, but we had a great time together this way. And at the end, the young his youngest daughter says, you know, we're really lucky that we get to have this time together that we have a that we can afford to have like laptops to to have the, this call and Zoom meetings and we can send each other gifts. And she goes, I'm just, I'm so grateful and and thankful that we can do this and still feel like a family. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, you know, those are the moments that you, that you cherish. Yes. And you will never forget that. Exactly. Exactly. It's amazing. It, COVID could have brought out the worst and it ended up bringing out the best. Right. Now, how far away did y'all move from them? So we're um, about a thousand miles away. We were in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic area, and now we're in Florida. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, that was, (laughs) the weather was the impetus for the move. (laughs) No more snow. But it does get hot, girl. It's, uh, you know what? It does, but it got hot where we were. (laughs) So um, I just sort of think of it like, if it's so hot, I'll just go inside and sit in the air conditioning as opposed to in the winter time when it's cold and we're inside trying to stay warm. So, you know, it's sort of just a trade-off, but it's beautiful here. It's sunny most days and we don't have to worry about shoveling snow, which was one of the the main reasons that we, that we moved. Mm -hmm. So when you started nachoing, you could feel the pressure relieved from yourself. You could see the difference with the stepkids. Did your husband know what was going on? Well, he's my boyfriend. Yeah, your boyfriend. And um, so I didn't tell him that I was not chewing. Mm-hmm. It did come up in therapy. He had asked. So we actually went to see two different therapists together. He had asked me to go after we came back from a family trip. And I just, oof. I guess that was a bad trip, huh? Yeah, I was miserable because there's nowhere to go. And all those tools that I felt like I had to make a separation, I didn't have at my disposal when we were away. So it just, and there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure from my boyfriend also about my work schedule, because I used to work and while we were away. And so I'm working in the mornings and then the girls would sleep late and then we get up and try and do something. And so that part of it sort of worked, but I'm feeling the pressure of working. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't drive well. It didn't go well because 
I'm having it to be in work mode in the morning and vacation mode in the afternoon. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not great at relaxing just generally. Mm-hmm. And I would guess that there are probably some other bonus parents, you know, when you're successful at something. So I'm successful at work and I'm not, my authority isn't challenged at work. Right. I, I built a great team at work. So sometimes work feels easier. Definitely. Than being a parent or a bonus parent or step parent or however you want to put it. So sometimes it seems crazy, but sometimes work is an escape. Mm -hmm. It definitely can be. So here I am. And I had a bunch of pressure on me at work at the time. And it just, it was really hard. So like working was hard and then trying to sort of be in this jovial vacation kind of mood was hard. And I really hadn't mastered nachoing yet. And it was, it was rough. It was really rough. And so he had said to me, we should go to see somebody. So we ended up seeing a therapist. I see somebody for myself and he was, let's just go see her. And I was like, let's, let's not do that. My, my therapist didn't like that idea either. She's like, you've been coming to me for a long time. Let's separate Mm -hmm. the two. So she recommended somebody. So we went and I'm just going to tell the other that parents that are looking for a therapist don't just go to somebody, do your due diligence Mm -hmm. and find out what they think about blended families. Yes. Because it was a big, big mistake. And we went and I just, it was hard for me. So my anxiety was kicking in hardcore. I was having some, even just PTSD moments where, I mean, I would be shaking and it was hard for me. It was really, really hard for me. Oh, gosh. And nothing that my boyfriend was saying was wrong, but I also felt like nothing I was saying was wrong. And it just felt like we were butting heads. And and here I am thinking, I'm doing all this. And I'm in my mind, I literally think said out loud in therapy, like, why do I care more than you about your kids? Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten to that moment yet. Hadn't gotten to that. and And so I'm struggling to try and hold on and control. And, and all he wanted me to do was nacho. Uh. And I just think about all those years that I went through. (laughs) (laughs) And he was telling me, all I want you to do is step back and not worry about it. And you're like, and all I want you to do is step up. (laughs) Step up. You got it. You got it, Lori. So we, yeah, we struggled. And I got the dreaded comment from the therapist. You knew what you were getting into. (gasps) And I don't, I don't know if I can explain to you how devastating that moment was because here I am just fighting to stay upright and be present in these sessions because I'm having such anxiety about all of it. Right. And she said that. And I mean, pretty outspoken. I will stand up for myself and those that I love. And I just felt like crumbling. I was like, oh my God, I have no support. This woman has no understanding of what this is like. And I I felt defeated. And to hear it from a therapist was really devastating. Well, she's a brave soul because I know plenty of stepmoms that would have punched her in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think had I not been having the anxiety attack, I probably would have or screamed at her. Yeah. Or been like, lady, you're crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I think I was so I, I was so broken about 
the whole thing that it really, it's, you think about like, well, what would you do if something happened? If somebody were to come up and try and take your bag from you and you think you'd do one thing, but is that actually what you would do? In that moment, it wasn't how I thought I would react at all. Yeah. You're like shell shocked. Yeah. I was shut and I was, I was debilitated from, I was having panic attacks. So there was a lot at play and it was just, oh, it was just like, she stuck a knife right through me and it was, it was, it was really tough. And I just felt like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? I feel like I can't be heard. I can't be acknowledged. And I feel like that's what I was fighting for in those sessions. I wanted to be acknowledged and appreciated by my, my boyfriend. And here I was feeling, feeling completely unacknowledged by the therapist also. <laughs> so I eventually told him, I was like, listen, oh, at one point we, we had the kids come in. That was rough. That was really rough really a challenging day for me. Um, but I sat there and listened. I did my best and they, they did their best too. I mean, it was really hard for them to try and come and say like, we understand my dad likes you, but here are the things that we are frustrated about or don't like. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if we fixed anything that day, but we sort of aired things out and maybe things eventually healed, if that makes sense. Right. But it was a, it was tough. So we ended up going to a different therapist and I, I researched a bunch before we went to this one and you have to find somebody that takes your insurance and you have to find somebody that can meet with you at a time that both of you are available. You have to find somebody who doesn't believe that a stepmom should be a parent, Mm -hmm. like an active, equal, disciplining parent. and. That's not simple. And I will tell you that first therapist that we went to, she didn't have kids. Oh, that's even worse. She didn't have kids. And she had been married. It seemingly she was married to her husband for a long time. So I don't know her background or her story in that regard. But to think now looking back, oh, so she doesn't really have any idea of what it's like to be a step. And you can think, you know, because I'm sure we all think, oh, yeah, before we get, oh, yeah, it's going to be great. And, you know, we're going to, no, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And you don't know until you're in that space. And I even think sometimes it's hard. We're in that space and we judge each other a lot, even as stepmoms or bonus moms. So it would be really nice if we were all more supportive globally of one another, I feel like. Yes, ma'am. Definitely. <laughs> well, I do have a question about the first therapist. Yeah. What was your uh, boyfriend's thought on what she had to say about you knew what you were getting into? He may not have even caught it when she said it. I don't even know if he caught it. And I will tell you something. We never talked about the therapy in between. Really? Nope. Huh. It was so tumultuous. It was so like butting heads. If we couldn't resolve it with the therapist, we didn't talk about it. That's probably best. I don't know. I'm not, you know what? I don't know. I wish it's like, you know, I wish I had the hindsight to help to have helped me see so many things differently. We we probably would have avoided therapy probably in general. (laughs) Yes. But I think I was struggling. I was struggling with a lot of things in that moment. I was struggling with being a, a bonus parent. I was struggling with how I saw my boyfriend, this man that I loved, and how did I feel about how he was treating me in the dynamic of this blend? Mm -hmm. How did I feel about how he was parenting his kids, which plays a big role sometimes in these these things. And then I was battling 
childhood trauma. I was battling not liking this therapist on a level that I didn't know was possible for a therapist. You know, I, I you, you, they're supposed to be neutral and all this. And then she comes out of left field with that. And I was like, Oh my God. And it turned out during this time, we had started seeing her think toward the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boyfriend, boyfriend ended up having a medical crisis and had to be in the hospital for several days. And that put us on a whole other challenging path. So on top of all of those things, we were dealing with this medical issue for him. And it took months to get him diagnosed. And he couldn't walk, he couldn't drive. And it was a scary time. So I was, nobody diagnosed me, but I would say that I was depressed. And it was just, it was a very, very, very hard time. Mm -hmm. But I never, I never left his side. And we were still going to this therapist when we could. And I just felt like she was just, I don't know. I don't, I didn't want her to be on a side, but it just felt like she was against me and not for us. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, and here I am trying to lift him up when he's in this really delicate place. And so it was a very hard time and not going back to her was one of the best things that we did. I did. And I finally spoke up and said something like, we're done. Like I can't go back there anymore. And I said, let me try and find somebody else. So I did. And so I did find this other person for the most part. I mean, it just, I was very upfront with her. I told her that I, you know, we went to this other therapist and she told me that I knew what I was getting into. And that was really traumatic because I need, I need somebody who's going to be more neutral and, you know, trying to be supportive of everybody in the relationships and not pointing fingers and and she was not a step, but she did have her own kids. Anyway, so so she, it, it was a much better dynamic. It really was. And she was she was helpful in getting us to see more of each other's sides than before. And also during that period is when I really came around to nachoing. And I would talk about it in the meeting. And I had no idea. I thought your I thought your theory was like. Everybody knew about it, and that was I was late to the party. <laughs> and so I would say to her, I'm like, Oh, do you, do you know about nachoing? And she was like, No, I've never heard of it. I'm like, oh, well, it's this great thing where it's like they're not your kids, and so it's for the birth mom and the bio dad to like parent the kids. And I don't, and I'm explaining this whole thing to her, and she's like, Uh huh. <laughs> so I was super proud of it, just so you know. And there were moments where she felt like it felt to me like she was like, yeah, this is really great, right? You don't have to worry about it. If he's not worried about it, you don't worry about it. But there were also moments in time and I still do struggle with this. And I'm sure other, other um, blends do is that you hear bio parents say all the time, my kids come first. My kids always come first. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to say something controversial, but I don't agree with that. Your kids should come first a lot of the time. But for me, it doesn't need to be a steadfast rule. They don't need to come first every single time, every single situation. Right. It shouldn't be a blanket statement. Yeah. Well, and and I think for bio parents, especially ones that are divorced, they say it is a blanket statement. And I don't, I think that there are times that your partner or your relationship or even another family member, like a parent, you know, if they're ill or whatever, they should come first. It shouldn't be 
that the kids always come first because, well, I have a whole theory about it, but there are times and places. And so what I'm trying to say is, yes, there are certainly times that kids should come first, but it shouldn't be all the time. And so we did have <laughs> this push and pull in, in one of our sessions where the therapist was like, oh, no, no, no. But yeah, my kids come first. And I was like, well, I don't agree that that should be what it, what it should be. <laughs> they should come first a lot of the time. And that's okay. Yeah. So there's still, I'm sure for a lot of step parents, these moments where you're like, you know, I mean, we've talked about it. We joke about it sometimes, but I know that I am second. It's his girls and then me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels totally fine. And sometimes it doesn't. And And that's normal too. Yeah. I have to just kind of process it. It's not that you're less. It's just as a parent, you have that responsibility to take care of your kids. And just because they grow up and even move out, it doesn't go away. So that would be like, I'm trying to compare it to your dogs, which I know is probably a bad analogy. (laughs) But say your husband wanted to go out of town for a month and you didn't have anybody to watch the dogs. And he's like, well, just call any pet place and have them watch them. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're, no, I don't know those people. Right. And he's, oh my gosh, come on. They do this all the time. Send them to a pet boarding place. It's fine. And then you're like, no. So I'm telling you, if it came down to it, you'd be like, no, you go by yourself. I'm not leaving my puppies (laughs) in this place. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right about that. But I also, I mean, it's, I don't know how to say, it sometimes feels like when, when bio parents say that, it just feels like if the kids want something and you want something else, it's always going to be the kids. And that, I guess, by default, and I I guess my point is, it shouldn't be by default. Right. You should weigh each situation. And sometimes it shouldn't be what the kids want. Or does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Obviously, you have to meet their needs, but it shouldn't be that the kids always get what they want. No, it shouldn't be. And I think a lot of people say it, meaning that if it came down to it, if my husband told me I had to choose between him and my kid... My kid would win out. Yes. Yes. I think that's the general sentiment. But we were sort of talking about it in therapy. I was trying to think of the example that we were using. Like you want to go eat Chinese and they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A very simplified example. Yeah. But generally, I mean, you know, he only got to see his kids every other weekend. So in retrospect, you know, that's not a lot of time. I also thought about it when I was trying to kind of put myself in my boyfriend's shoes, you know. For me, I started thinking about why, why doesn't he want to discipline, right? Because I think that's like a lot of why we feel like we have to nacho because Mm -hmm. he's not going to discipline his kids and they're acting out or they're talking back or they're not talking to you. That's, we get that a lot, right? They don't say good morning or you ask them a question and they won't talk to you and you get that teenagery kind of moment. And, and so I had been in a long distance relationship years ago and I kind of all, all of a sudden it occurred to me when I was in that relationship, we, we didn't talk a lot about our problems when we were face to face with one another because you only got the weekends, right? Because we were working and he was in school or whatever, da, 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 and you only get the short amount of time together. Right. So do you want to argue? No, you want it to be fun and you want it to be. So I was, I can see that same thing happening in this dynamic, right? You only get a couple days every other week. Do you want to spend it disciplining or grounding or whatever the case may be? You know, you didn't do your homework and so now I'm going to take away your phone, whatever it is. Right. 
No, you want it to be fun. You want to have a great time and go out to eat and make memories and have fun together. So that really put into some some good perspective, at least for me, to understand because you know we call parents Disney dads and there's that whole topic, but I can really see why things sort of fall together that way time and time again because you just you know you don't want to spend that time arguing when you could be having fun. Right. We had a lady that she told her husband, stop parenting them on the weekends that you have them because they had them every other weekend. She said, and enjoy them. Wow. I know. I wanted to send her a prize. She was a unicorn. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Wow. I was impressed. So was she. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing is, and it's like you realizing that is so important because otherwise, what happens is all of a sudden, this person you love, you start looking at them differently. A hundred percent. You start looking at them like, oh, they're wimpy. They won't even stand up to their kids. They're not who I thought they were. And the next thing you know, you're almost disgusted by their behavior as a parent. Yeah. That came up a few times in different dynamics and different situations. But something I learned in therapy is that he kept things a bit separate. So he didn't want me to see him reprimanding the kids for whatever reason it might be. You know, if he was going to have a talk with them, he did it in a place where I was not. And you're thinking, I need to see you stand up to them. (laughs) Correct. You're 100% accurate there. And he didn't want that because he didn't want to embarrass them. He had felt like when he was a kid that he, he felt like he was embarrassed that way. And he didn't want to do that to his kids. And you're exactly right, Lori. I was like, no, I need to see, I just watch you and it goes on and on. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to see you say to them, don't do this or don't talk to that person that way. But I just had to accept it at a certain point and say, at least he's doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I got to tell you something as you're in it, it doesn't feel good. I, I totally get that. But they're now, well, technically they're adults, but they're, you know, they're still growing and figuring things out and, and they're, they're great. They're great young women and it does work out. So all these things that I worried about or wanted to teach them, some of it is coming up now, which is really cool. (laughs) And I feel like sometimes there are some moments where you have that, I told you so moment, but now when you nacho, you just have it quietly to yourself and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause that you're like, well, I told you that whatever, when they were 12 and 15, you know, they should be looking at this or they should be doing that. Or I actually had them work in my mom's office for a summer so that they could get some, some office experience. And I really felt like it was important for them to to see a, like a woman owned company. Mm-hmm. And I remember the moment where the oldest found out that my mom owned the company and she was like, what? Oh my God. And I could see in her eyes, all of a sudden the possibilities in her mind just multiplied. Well, your mom is running a company. Like, why couldn't I do that? You know, that moment. And so when they were doing it, they weren't grateful at all. And they, you know, they didn't want to do it and get up early and all this stuff. And now it's on their resume <laughs> as like, you know, and they use it as sort of the base foundation of their resume that they did this work. And so even though the things that seem they don't want it or don't care, or don't matter, they do end up having an impact, which is 
eventually rewarding. So for those of you that are in the early stages, (laughs) I just want to tell you to like, hang on. (laughs) If I had known that it would come eventually, I, I wonder if I would have been more relaxed and patient. I think you would. I hope I would have. Yeah. Because a lot of times we forget and it's easy to forget that these same lazy 16-year-old kids that only halfway brush their teeth and their room's a mess, Mm -hmm. that they do grow up. And there is a pretty big probability that they will be successful in life. Mm -hmm. They might become productive members of society. It's true. Right. The people that are productive members of society now likely were those 16-year-olds that had messy rooms and didn't brush their teeth. Yes. It does happen. It does. There's an evolution. And you just have to be patient enough to wait for it. And I got to tell you, I am not a patient person. Um, I've learned to be patient. We'll put it that way. Did you did you learn to be patient through your step-parent relationship or in other ways in your in your life? Through the step-parent relationship. Step-parent. Okay. Yeah. It teaches you all kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it does teach you tools, though, in life to to not just deal with just your stepkids. I mean, like you said, you can nacho an in-law. You can also nacho your own family. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am, I do. <laughs> yeah, you can choose to do that. So I nacho David's family. I nacho the neighbors. <laughs> I, nacho, I nacho a lot. Yes. Yeah. And I think have, having something to put, like putting a name around it, just, I don't know, ties it all up into a nice bow. And you're like, oh, this is what that means. I'm going to nacho somebody. Before I would say, well, I'm going to cut this person off, right? Like if I'm not having a good interaction with them and I don't have to, I'm just going to cut them off. But now I can still be in a room with them and I can nacho them if I have to. Right. right? And that, like, it's such a gift in some ways. I do see women, mostly women asking like, well, what do you do? Like, how do you curb your anxiety? Which is something that I have been dealing with for a lot of years. And one of the things that I make sure that I have now is, so instead of trying to control the situation, I have a list of things in my mind that I can do to control my own self, to take me out of the scenario that I'm currently in. And so that feels like power to me. It is. Yeah. I can take myself away with still being physically in that situation. Or sometimes maybe I can take myself physically out of the situation. And it just, there is such a, because you have that power, the anxiety level just reduces so much because you now know like, oh, if I'm starting to feel anxious, I can do one of these three or four things and buy myself some time till we can leave or calm myself down. So, you know, it, it is, um, for me, one of the best tools that I've, I think I've learned in the nacho other than, um, not to care more than the bio parents mm-hmm. that for me but has really helped me. Now you mentioned your husband had a medical emergency and I didn't want to dismiss that. Is he okay now? He is. Um, it, he was diagnosed a couple months after the issue arose and, very grateful to a, a friend of mine who is a doctor. We told him what was going on and he got him some help right away. After the diagnosis, he started about a year of therapy. And so I was with him at every appointment and he worked hard between every time we went to get his exercises and everything. So 
he is doing well, he can drive, he can walk, he still has his challenges, which is one of the main reasons why we moved out of the cold weather, because that makes things a little more challenging for him. So he was really ready to go. (laughs) But yes, he is doing well. And thank you so much for asking. I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah. So what would be the one piece of advice you would give somebody that is dating a man with kids and they are starting to feel that, oh, I love them feeling? So I would say read a step parent book or two and join a step parent group or two and figure out what your deal breakers are. I think when I got into this, I just didn't have any understanding of what would be to come. And I found myself very alone because none of my friends were in a step parent relationship. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of step parents out there, but none of my friends were, were in this dynamic. And so I felt like, gosh, I've what do you talk to about this? And once I got to a place where I was just so down, I ended up looking on Facebook and finding some step parent groups. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people that, that feel the same exact way. I'm complaining to my friends, like, you know, his kids don't this and he won't do that. And I'm this. And, and all of a sudden I was in these step parent groups, and I'm hearing the same things. And it was such a relief to feel like I wasn't alone. And I would listen to what they say. And I would, I think we've even had some people in our group say, you know, I'm interested, I'm dating this guy, and he has kids, like, what, what should what should I do? And laying out those boundaries, as clearly as you can, as early as you can, is, I think, really important. The problem is, and I don't know if you experienced this, Lori, but you're in this, this moment of your relationship and everything is butterflies and rainbows. And, you know, you like cooking dinner, right? Mm-hmm. It's really nice. And then eventually cooking dinner becomes expected. Uh-oh. Right. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. And then the stepkids start saying to you, what are we having for dinner? What are you making for dinner? Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So now I know that I can identify that but back then I was just resentful and I was frustrated. And then here I did, I made this dinner and nobody cleaned the dishes uh-huh. and I was so upset. And is it about the dishes? No, but it's also about the dishes. You just want to feel like, wow, somebody appreciated that I did something that I definitely did not have to do. Right. And it never occurred to me to stop doing it. You know what I think is funny? And I don't know why I do this. For instance, now David will help me with the dishes and stuff. But when he does the dishes, I'll tell him thank you. Mm -hmm. Why am I telling him thank you? He ate off those plates too. You know what? That's a good point. And that actually came up in therapy because I used to say thank you for everything that my boyfriend did around the house. And my therapist told me to stop doing it. Yeah. And I was like, but why? And she goes, because he should be doing them. And I said, you know what? I think I'm saying thank you because I want to be thanked. Yes. I want to be thanked. I want to be appreciated. I don't have to cook for you. I don't have to go to the grocery store for you and your kids. I don't have to do any of that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay for the groceries for you and your kids. And I think we we say thank you because we want to hear it. We're looking for that from our partner. 
Well, and, and I think a lot of it, too, may be because here we go back to the stereotype of women. Mm-hmm. They cook and they clean. So we feel like that somehow it's inbred in us that we should be doing the cleaning. So when they do it, it's, oh, thank you. Yeah, for me, the cleaning, not so much. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I will say, for me, the cooking was a really difficult one. I'm not the greatest cook. And if, if I could choose to have like something that I could have a talent with that I'd be better at, it would be cooking. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do okay. And it's certainly edible most times. And um, <laughs> one thing for me, I feel like cooking is love. And so it took me a long time to put that together. And here I am cooking and I feel like I'm showing my love to this family and it feels like I'm being rejected time and time again. And I didn't understand that. I was so hurt all the time when the kids would come over and I would cook and, you know, they didn't like it or, you know, they didn't want to eat it because it was healthy. I mean, listen, bio parents get that all the time too. So it's not anything different, but you know, here you are and you don't have to do this, right? I'm not the bio parent or the best one is when you do all of this cooking and then you don't hear anything. You don't get a thank you from anybody. Well, at least you're not hearing anybody throw up. You know what? Good point. That's a good (laughs) point. But when the, when my boyfriend would cook, thanks dad. (laughs) And you just want to scream. You just want to scream. But you know what? And sometimes my boyfriend would say to me when I would express to him, like, oh, God, this is so frustrating. And he goes, don't do it. He was telling me to nacho. Uh huh. And I was like, but, 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 no, mm-hmm. I should have listened to him. I, but, but I was fighting with myself because this was the way I was showing this family love. And I kept getting rejected over and over. And then him saying to me, just don't do it meant to me, oh, well, don't show your love. And it was really hard to come to terms with that. Right. And so now if I'm going to cook, I have to do it because I want to, and I cannot do it because I'm expecting to get a thank you. Yes. You have to do it without expectations. Yes. And so it's really, it's a hard pill, hard lesson, it, it, but when you come around to it, it, it's so much easier. It's so much easier. If I don't want to go to the grocery, I don't have to go to the grocery store. Right. They're his kids. If there's some food in the house, he can figure it out. And I guarantee you, he has no problem driving to some fast food, whatever that they want. Because even if I went to the store and I make a beautiful meal, can we get burgers? Can we get chicken? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. Have a good time. You know, mm-hmm. and, and now it's not with resentment. And now it's just, it, it has become so much easier to, to have that separation. Like, it's not me. They're not saying, oh, I don't want your food because I don't love you. Right. It's not you. Yep. And also the difference is that we have had these moments now between, especially between when their dad was, was ill and now he has told them how much I helped him. And I didn't know that. Like I said, he does, he has his own separate conversations with them and they've told me that how much they appreciate that I've taken care of their dad and that he's so happy with me. And to, for, for the kids to recognize that, woo, huge. Yes. Huge in our relationship because now it feels like I'm acknowledged and accepted. So those moments when 
the dinner doesn't work out or what it just doesn't sting like it did because we've sort of gotten over that hump and I feel heard. I feel like I'm part of it, not an outsider. And you're giving things the proper emotional weight. Yes. That's a good, that's a good way to put it, Lori. I hadn't thought about that. Mm -hmm. When I felt alone, like as a, a step or a bonus parent, as soon as I connected with those other Facebook groups, I hadn't posted anything. I was just reading. And all of a sudden there were other people like me. It felt like, like if I was on a boat that I had been sent, you know, that we threw the the rope and now I was connected to land. Yes. That it's, it is like you're floating out there by yourself. And then all of a sudden you have a connection point and you're not by yourself. Right. when you're alone, I mean, there's a reason people go crazy in solitary confinement. You know, your mind is spinning and you don't have anywhere to land to, to be a lighthouse to sort of bring you back to center. That's really important when you're dealing with anxiety, right? To, mm-hmm. to feel like you're grounded. I don't know how you figured out how to put all of those pieces together and call them nacho, but you're a marketing genius. You're a psychotherapy genius. It, it is so helpful, the tools that you have put together for step parents, because I honestly, I know that I would not still be in this relationship if it weren't for Nacho. I, I would have crumbled under the pressure. And in that moment where the medical crisis happened with my boyfriend and I was depressed from the other therapist and we weren't getting anywhere, I think I would have given up. Because how much can one person take? Yeah. But, you know, this was my lighthouse. This was my grounding. And I kept pushing and I kept working and I got there and I'm so much happier for it. And frankly, my boyfriends and my, we, I have, I love him, but we have built such a great life together that I feel very lucky that I was strong enough to stay and figure it out. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Nacho. Well, you just remember you did the work though. And it wasn't easy. Yes. I know it wasn't. Thank you. I will take credit for that. But I'm just so appreciative of, you know, there's a, there's an amazing moment that I had in therapy. And I had all this stuff happen in my childhood that I had told you about. And, you know, somebody put a word on it. And all of a sudden, things made so much more sense. And I was like, whoa, that's what all that was. And all of a sudden, pieces of of my childhood kind of a puzzle came together. Mm -hmm. And I could see things so much more clearly. And to me, that's, I don't want to say that's what Nacho is, but having all of these tools in the toolbox to use, like, nope, okay, not caring more than the bios doesn't work here, but you know, I could disengage. I can, you know, I can do all of these things. Oh, the other one that's great is don't say anything negative about the stepkids. Yes. That's a big one. Stepped mm-hmm. in that hole a bunch of times. Not pretty. <laughs> it's a stink deep hole. It's real bad. <laughs> it's a, but now like, I'm like, Oh, nope. Don't say that. Reverse, reverse, reverse. Mm-hmm. You know, so it has given me a way to function. So I'm no, don't go down that road. It will lead you astray, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to start a fight. He's going to be upset with you. And now I know he's never going to be able to hear that 
from me about anything. Now he can say it. He can say something about his kids, but I can't. Oh, yes. And if he says something, don't you dare jump on that bandwagon and go, yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, you just, that's when you just sort of put your, cast your eyes down away and you're like, mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yep. Is there anything I can do with to help you with that, honey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the, that's when you put like a therapist hat on and you just, yep, mm, ask a question. Just ask a really like neutral question. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But the other thing now, not to bring it all back to my dogs, but why not? The other thing that's fine is that he can say bad things about my dogs. No. Yes. He needs to nacho the dogs fully. I know. So he nachos the dogs in terms of doing things for them. In terms of responsibility. Yes, in terms of responsibility, but he does not observe the tenet of nacho, which says do not speak negatively about the kids, in my case, the dogs. <laughs> you, you should look up the uh, blog where I did the 10 nacho do's and don'ts and change okay. it where it says stepkids and put dogs. <laughs> okay. I'm going to post, maybe I'll go through all, and I can make a little, a little sign for the house. But yeah, I mean, it's very interesting how that works because he doesn't see that boundary, right? He can say like, you know, I have a, a younger dog and he, He's adorable, but he can be super annoying because, you know, he still has too much energy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so he can say something about that. But I can't say anything in that realm about his kids. But I've learned that lesson. And I know that. And I also, at a certain point, would I like to have, would I like to explain it to him? Yes. But do I also understand that that's going to be a fight that's going to bring up a whole bunch of stuff that I don't want to sort of hash out. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, unless it gets to a point where it's really problematic, but you know, sometimes they can't even see the, I guess the hypocrisy of it. You can't say anything about my kids, but I can say stuff about your dogs and Mm -hmm. and that's fine. But I mean, generally that's the worst thing that happens in a day. Yes. But, but truly, I mean, we were very, very lucky. And like I said, it was not, easy for me to get into a relationship. I had been single for eight years and I was very happy. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I was so happy being single. Like what am I, (laughs) what what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? But he is a wonderful man. He is a great father and it's a double-edged sword. Those things that make him a great father are also things that drive me nuts in Terms of not showing, right? Like you want him to do more. Yes. Way too often, the reasons we fell in love with our significant others is what will drive us crazy about them and not crazy in a good way. Well, he told me that before we got together. <laughs> so he said to me, he's, are you sure about me and the kids? And I'm thinking, now you're asking me, you've been begging me to be in this relationship with you. And now you're, oh, 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 let's check in. Let's check in. And I'm thinking. I'm frustrated, frustrated, right? So here you're trying to make me get fall in love with you. And now now it's like red light, yellow light, hold on. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you know, other women see me as a dad and they love that about me because I, he is, he's a great dad. And, you know, you see him and he'll do anything for his girls. And then it turns into he'll do anything for his girls. And eventually as you become, as you move into the relationship, it's my girls come first. Mm-hmm. And then back to that whole conversation we were having earlier. Exactly. So 
he was, he was up front with me. Like, are you sure? Well, I think I was sure in the moment. I think I'm still sure, but did I understand what being a step would be? No, no, Mm -mm. no. And I sometimes think about God forbid, if something were to happen or whatever, like if you were to get into another relationship, right? I mean, we all have those conversations. Would you do it again? If you had to do it again, you know, would you, how would you do it? And I, I think, you know, I would be like, well, I'm going to not show this thing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to make it clear to you, partner B. Uh-huh. Those are your kids. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to do anything nice for you, it's on my terms, right? It's on my terms. And I don't have to do it. Right. So don't expect it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, God, if I had known to be able to put all that together in a sentence to say, (laughs) oh, where would I be now? But yeah, I mean, lessons learned, right? And, And I don't even think that the beginning of the relationship me could even have understood what that meant because I hadn't lived it yet. Exactly. So that whole sentiment of, you, that's why it hurts so badly when somebody says to you, you knew what you were getting into because you don't, I wish I had the, the presence of mind to say to that therapist, well, did you know what you were getting into when you got married? Cause you know, everybody feels like, yes, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. No, of course not. You're not the same person as you were, as you evolve in a relationship, people treat you certain ways. And things happen and you somebody starts taking you for granted and you become resentful. And, you know, all of these things happen and you just don't know what it's going to be like until you're standing there. That's why I feel like even if I had said that to myself, like get all this information up front and just lay it out, I wouldn't have even known what that was or what it meant because now I've lived it. I feel it in my core. I know exactly what it feels like to feel that rejection over and over again. And now I understand what it feels like for to have that release of that heavy anxiety riddled burden of feeling like rejection. And I had to do this because I'm a stepmom and all these things. And now I know, well, I certainly would approach it differently if I had, you know, if I had to do it again. Mm-hmm. But the answer to the question is I would do it again. Right. I would too. I definitely would. Yeah. Well, Amy, it has been great having you a guest on our podcast. Thanks so much, Lori. I really enjoyed it. You made it easy. And I really do appreciate all your input in the Facebook group because, again, once I see that you've commented, I don't have fear of what you might have said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently I've learned from the best. So thanks so much. and, And kudos to all the women and men out there that are just trying to do their best and have a good blend and it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, but you can get there, which is what I hope comes across today. Right. And it will make you stronger in so many ways. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again and stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. Did y'all catch the part where after a family trip, Amy's significant other suggested going to see a therapist? (laughs) Yeah. I could think of several trips that I should have went and saw a therapist on. You know, that's one of the first courses we did in the academy, I believe, was step family vacations. vacations. Mm-hmm. Because Lord have mercy. Yeah. Even nuclear ones. family vacations are hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think back. All of you people out there, think back to going on vacation 
as a nuclear family when you were a child. Did y'all not have times that were not happy? Absolutely. Matter of fact, we got pictures (laughs) (laughs) of times when me and my sister were younger that we were miserable. I'm talking like everybody was just angry. And, and it showed on our faces, too. I remember this one picture we got. It's like me and mom and dad are kind of standing closer together. And then my sister's like five feet away because <laughs> she's mad. Everybody's mad. Everybody's got this look on her face like they're ready to kill each other. Yeah. So why would you take a picture? I don't know. Um, Everybody get together and take a picture. I can hear your mama saying that. I, I don't know. Honestly, I get think your it's. Get over here and smile. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you walk into the theme park or you're somewhere in the theme park and somebody runs up to you and like. Let me take your picture. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I think we're like, uh. <laughs> Those step family vacations. Woo. Yeah. But yeah, we had some, we had some terrible um, family vacations as a, as a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. And our blended family vacations um, in the beginning weren't any better. No. So. No. Well, I think a lot of that was because of where we were going to. I knew the person, so I felt responsible for their house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's don't break this, don't touch that. And then sure enough, one of them breaks something. It was too small. Yeah. But I think our most memorable vacation so far has been the cruise we took the kids on. Yeah, we were talking about that with Branson here. Yep. So that was uh, post-Nacho. And we all had a great time. Matter of fact, they all keep talking about, we need to do another one. We need to do another one. Which is going to be interesting to see how that will ever happen again. Our Florida trip wasn't that bad until we went to that beach that we didn't realize that you had to park a mile away from the beach and it was hotter than 17 cents and nobody had anything to drink. Yeah. I think that's the one I let, I let y'all stay out on the beach. Mm-hmm. I went back to the car. David's not a beach bunny. No. Well, it was 120 degrees. Yeah, but you're already there. You can stick your feet in the water. The water was 120 degrees. <laughs> it was not. And plus everybody was dying of amoebas getting on them and on the beaches. They were not. And some dude got struck by lightning on the beach. <laughs> that that's a completely different trip. You are so confused. It don't matter. It still happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, we're gonna quit yapping. All right. Stop flapping your jaws, David. Okay. All right, that's all, folks. Thanks for joining us. Join us next week when you hear another exciting episode of What in the World's Happening with David and Lori. <laughs> That's not the name of the podcast. It will be. (laughs) No, some people won't like that. And some will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, y'all have a great week. See you next Friday. And remember, life is good. Wing you, Nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.